Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review the first Wednesday of every month at Chicago's Cafe Mustache, uh, where we satirize the news of the previous month through hilarious op-ed and debate with Chicago's best writers and performers. This show was recorded on August 3rd, 2016. Enjoy. so much for listening to the skewer podcast if you liked what you heard um you can come to a live show the first wednesday of every month at cafe must to the skewer everybody wow i'm your host tom harrison i i'm just me and nothing to me just just that i am uh and the skewer is a monthly live tier of the news review where i i guess uh, I used to say we because I had a co-host, but we, but we moved to Detroit. Yeah. I know, right? I know. I gathered the best writers and comedians in the city uh, just to satirize and really just shit on the month that has just passed us by. Uh, in this case, July, and now I'm going to do a little bit that I wrote down. It's hard. It's hard to wrangle with two hands. Oh man, this July, what a month that it was. It seems that every month since I've started this show that I've started really following the news every single day, I take a quiet moment to myself to just be like, things are more chaotic and volatile than I've ever seen them before. This feels like a unique moment in in human history. It feels like society is stepping into a terrifying unknown and nothing feels secure anymore. And then every next month after that is like, boom! <laughs> you think that's bad? <laughs> this, the police this month apparently decided to do some sort of large-scale public art installation to try to finally convince the stupid public that no, there is no excuse except racism for why they shoot so many black people. And the public was like, I don't think you understand how low we can sink. They killed Alton Sterling for doing, like, nothing. And people were like, nah, he had a gun. And he was selling CDs, which sounds like it's illegal, probably. (laughs) So then they killed Philando Castile for just complying, like, 100% during a traffic stop. And people were like, pause a moment, how do you know he wasn't reaching for a gun? Cop very reasonably could have thought that, and that's a scary thing. So, you know, that didn't work either. So then they shot Charles Kinsey as he was lying on the ground with his hands up, explaining that the situation just was not dangerous. Uh, And they later said they didn't know why they shot him. And people are still like, good point, but, counterpoint, what about black-on-black crime? (laughs) I honestly don't know where it could go from here. The only escalation left is for a black cop to accidentally shoot himself. But you know then they'd be like, check his record, I bet he has a history of police brutality. (laughs) Fun fact, between my writing this and reading this, uh, police shot and killed a young black woman and also shot her five-year-old son cradled in her arms. So, you know, that's fun. Donald Trump <laughs> seemed determined to just really lock in as, as hard as he could this month that he was a cruel, racist, fascist. And you know, say all the bad things you want to about Trump. I mean, there are many people saying them, and there are many things to say. But I still think that it's too far to compare him to Hitler. For one, I just do not think Donald Trump is smart enough to actually design and enact a Nazi-level regime. <laughs> I feel like you get about a half hour into designing, like, who's going to go to what camp, and then you just get tired and throw a tantrum. <laughs> For example, Hitler needed a logo, so what did he do? He made a design that after, like, what, two decades of use, took a centuries-old symbol, the swastika, and poisoned it forever. It was that strong an image. Trump needed a logo in 2016, a year so lousy with graphic designers that I see them scuttle under the fridge whenever I turn the kitchen lights on. He came up with a big T fucking a pee hole. Which I guess 
would be a strong image if he was pushing some sort of radical pro-sounding policy. If you didn't get that joke, and you're like, my dick hasn't felt really uncomfortable in a while. Google sounding after the show. Besides, when it comes to scary authoritarians, look no further this month than Turkey, where a failed military coup that was definitely not staged has allowed Turkish President Erdogan to grant himself emergency powers and detain intellectuals, professors, and journalists. Yes, did you Google sounding? Yeah. That's what you're This is Turkish dude, he's detaining intellectuals and whatnot. Which, if history tells us anything, is just, is just a real prudent temporary measure, just guaranteed to restore security and prosperity in uncertain times. You always hear about intellectuals getting released back into the new utopia and being like, God damn, things are amazing. Good thing I wasn't free when you were making this happen. I would have fucked it up. But of course, of course, it's not all bad. July served up one piece of news that is unequivocally proving that hope exists and everything's going to be okay. We all know what I'm talking about. It feels silly to even have to say it out loud. We know it so well. You know, let's have fun. Let's all say it together on three, okay? Cool. One, two, three. The first trailer for Triple X3 returns Xander Cage. Returns Vin Diesel. Yeah, yeah. And anyone who was silent during that, if, if what you're trying to tell me is that you're not a fan of, in, of inexplicable sequels to 14-year-old, middlingly successful action movies starring Vin Diesel, as an extreme sports man who famously sees the world as a series of ramps and potential ramps, <laughs> if that is what you're telling me, then we cannot be friends anymore, okay? Vin Diesel as Xander Cage, and you better believe that Xander with an X for extreme, skis down a mountain and rides a motorcycle. You're thinking, oh, that's not that extreme, right? Bitch, let me finish. He skis down a mountain that has no snow. It's a goddamn jungle mountain. Holy skiing on fucking branches and rocks and shit. And that motorcycle is probably on land, right? No. No, it's on water. He's riding the motorcycle on water. Are you kidding me? July, you're all right by me. Anyways, that's my little bit. Time to actually get to the show. The op-editors who are going to be delivering solo uh, op-ed essays just about news stories of the month. Our first op-editor is a uh, hilarious stand-up comic. She's a regular at the Laugh Factory. And she's amazing, Rachel McCartney. Did you get justice for my height? That was amazing. <laughs> All right. On July 1st, the minimum legal age to buy cigarettes in Chicago was raised to 21. I think this was a great idea that will lead to better health outcomes and will definitely not lead to a craze of chain-smoking 21 cigarettes on your 21st birthday. <laughs> I should state up front, I have never smoked. I hate being around smoke. I think tobacco companies are the devil and I don't think that anybody should smoke. But preventing 18 to 20 year olds from buying them is not about that. It's about exercising control over them because we're jealous of their tight bodies. <laughs> Yeah, we hate your tight body unless it's about to die in a war. <laughs> but we think you're mature enough to make that decision. Your life is precious unless you're sacrificing it to get the oil we put in our cars to drive to the 19-year-old prostitute we cheat on our wives with. <laughs> and I heard the new law isn't about preventing 18 to 20-year-olds from smoking. It's about preventing minors from getting cigarettes from those 18 to 20-year-olds. But we know that if minors really want to smoke, they're going to keep smoking. We just really want... Uh... Bye, ambulance. Okay. <laughs> we know that if minors want to smoke, they're going to keep smoking. We just want them to stop being able to get them from the 18-year-old senior they hang out with and start depending on their creepy uncle. 
That's what we like. Keeping teenagers dependent on us so, we, so they can't make us feel irrelevant. Smoking is bad for everyone. So why are we not talking about banning it for everyone? I think it's because we know that would be a threat to individual liberty. Taking cigarettes away from older adults sounds fascist because we acknowledge the trade-off between risk and pleasure is an essential part of life that everyone negotiates differently. Depriving young people of the right to negotiate that trade-off means we're treating them like dogs, cutting them off from treats because we don't empathize with them enough to care if they enjoy life. Age restrictions in general are not about safety. You have to be 21 to drink legally or be allowed into certain establishments that serve alcohol. Okay, everyone here, I want you to clap if you think we really need to be protecting 20-year-olds from Zany's Comedy Club. No? Yeah, no, we don't. We also don't need to prevent them uh, from going to open mics in bars or even drinking in bars. Because if they're not drinking in bars, they're drinking in frat houses, frat houses, getting raped, and then getting blamed for it. Because we pretend we believe that 20-year-olds shouldn't be drinking. Have you ever met a 20-year-old who doesn't drink? Yeah, weren't they a fucking loser? <laughs> I don't know who wants a nation of 20-year-old losers. We would be concerned if every 18 to 20-year-old stopped drinking, and yet it's still illegal. And I think I know why. I think it's because we're mad that we can't fuck their tight, supple bodies. <laughs> if you don't fuck me, you don't get to enter my bar clubhouse. You have to drink in a basement, natty light, with a bunch of young guy fieris. How fucked up is it that getting blackout drunk in college is a rite of passage, but having a fake ID is a class 4 felony? That's how much we hate young people. We don't give a shit about the damage binge drinking does, does to their brain, but we'll put them in jail just for carrying a card that says they're not a second class citizen. In conclusion, fuck the police. I just want to, just full disclosure, uh, I personally was just extremely scared to drink before 21 because it's going to come as a shock to all who know me. I, I really love following rules. <laughs> yeah, following rules is cool. It's, look it up. You'll find it's true. <laughs> anyway, our next reader uh, is also a great stand-up and also a producer of We Still Like You. Is great. Uh, show and also podcast where people tell embarrassing stories about themselves and people say we still like you at the end. I think the next one is, if I Googled correctly, this Saturday at 10 p.m. at the Flatiron Building. Yeah, correct. Googling. Awesome. Uh, please welcome Shannon Knoll. Oh, yeah. Give it up for everybody. <laughs> Um, cool. So I'm going to read from my computer like it's 2007. Um, <laughs> uh, Alright, so you guys want to hear a scary story? Yeah. Yes! Boys and girls, it's nighty night time. Happy Jay the Clown has a nursery rhyme. It's about the boogie woogie man. Keep your light on as long as you can. Because when it cuts off, so does your head. <laughs> uh, but also that's a line from an insane clown posse song. <laughs> um, and also, another scary story is that uh, the Republican National Convention was last month. <laughs> so it was another convergence of like-minded people looking to worship their leaders, uh, the gathering of the Juggalos. <laughs> Both were held in Ohio, and, which is round on the sides, high in the middle, which I think describes Americans. I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> Fat and high, I guess. Um, I don't know. Uh, but for those of you uh, who don't know what Gathering of the Juggalos is, it's a music festival uh, put on by the Insane Clown Posse, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, it's, it's a rap duo made up of Violent J and Shaggy Too Dope. And they are 
white men who put on clown makeup and rap. Uh, and it started in the 90s, and this was the 16th year of gathering with the Juggalos. And it takes place in Thorndale, Ohio, which is not too far from Cleveland, where the uh, Republican National Convention was going on. So, I would like to draw some parallels between the two. <laughs> right. So, uh, I don't follow politics a whole lot anymore, which is a lazy excuse for uh, not doing anything. Um, and my teenage self would be very mad about this, but probably very happy that I was listening to a lot of insane clown posse this week. Um, so both events were draped in carnival-like fabric. ICP is supposed to be a horror carnival. All the jugglers paint their faces in black and white clown makeup, while all the delegates at the Republican National Convention painted their faces in red, white, and blue, which is for the red blood of a mosh pit, uh, for white for cum and blue for cotton candy fago. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> it's actually red is for uh, hardiness and valor, white is for purity and innocence, and blue for vigilance, perseverance, and justice, but also blood and cum. <laughs> uh, also both events, most of the faces that were not painted were white. Both, both of these events struck in uh, cultural appropriation at the Republican National Convention, Ivanka, uh, appropriated Michelle Obama's speech, which is a joke that I appropriated from a meme. <laughs> and uh, at the uh, Juggalo, at the gathering of the Juggalos, they appropriate both rap and braided hair. Um, and, uh, but perhaps the most similar of these two, the only thing that they uh, have in common is that they both live in a fantasy world. The Juggalos live at an insane carnival filled with bottle rockets and fago, while Trump supporters, in the vague statement that they want to make America great again, without referring to what that actually means. All that we know that's concrete of what they said is that they want to kick out Muslims and Mexicans, and that's all that we know. So we can assume that make America great again means make it white, which it never was in the first place. Um, and at one point, uh, Juggalos were on an FBI watch list as a violent gang. Now they've sort of been downgraded to a group of outsiders that we can all make fun of. <laughs> While Trump supporters started as a group of outsiders that we can all make fun of, and now they've become an actual threat that they could actually nominate Donald Trump for the presidency. <laughs> and in closing, I would like to uh, I would like to say the chant from these groups. I'd like to leave you with a couple of chants. So Trump supporters are known for chanting "Build a Wall." build a wall, build a wall, right, which is in reference to building a wall, forcing Mexico to pay for it, which is insane. Um, and this is the ICP chant. It's pretty good. <laughs> My roommates hate me. I am living in 2007 with technology here. <laughs> Where's that coming? You hear it? Nope, not at all. All right, well basically, they need to chant over and over again about having a rusty hatchet. That's their chant. All right, thanks guys. Give up one more time for sharing all. Yeah. I just want to say that if I uh, got in trouble for every time I appropriated a joke from a meme, I would be just shot in front of the White House to staggering applause. Because memes are pretty much 80% of my sense of humor. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Come on! Memes are hilarious. Anyway. Moving on, uh, our next reader, uh, you could, could have seen him uh, performing regularly with The Living Room in Chicago, uh, but he is going to be moving to Japan for an extended period of time, pretty much like next week, yeah? Yeah! Yeah! And this is his last performance in the city, so please welcome Ian Randall! And if you don't like it, you can 
say you can help exile me. <laughs> um, so, I got a suicide note the other day. Yeah, it's fucked up. And it came from a tree. This is dedicated to a beautiful white oak that once uh, stood in Ohio. And I have some funny stories about the gathering. My brother actually uh, has some interesting experiences from working at What? Yeah, um, sidebar before the, oh, time, uh, the suicide note. So my brother worked as the DJ for Afro Man for a while. I'm making my brother cooler than me, and he's not even in the goddamn city. Yeah, and he uh, woke up in the middle of the night because Aphromat, the gathering is a 24-hour concert, wrestling event, wet t-shirt contest. It is all of those things, apparently, too. Uh, and he woke up, uh, they were setting up one of the stages at, like, when John started taking a nap about, like, 8 o'clock. And this was when it was still in Illinois and the uh, ominous hole in the rock uh, city. Uh, and he woke up at three o'clock in the morning to a bunch of people with fire and clown makeup and he thought he died and went to hell. <laughs> Going back to death. Um, this is Requiem for a Shawshank Tree. And like I said, this was the, uh, the death note, so. The pressure is too goddamn much. I know it isn't just on me. The prison must feel it too, but that guy is a rock. Several rocks. And other building materials. And this wasn't his first rodeo. Can a prison be a rodeo, or is that just a prison rodeo? I'm going off on a tangent here. I'm writing this on the processed carcass of one of my fellow trees, so show I should be a bit more concise to save space. When this all started out, I was actually kind of hopeful. After all, I was only about 200 then. Not too old, but old enough to see my fair share here in Mainsfield, Ohio. I didn't see it, per se, since I don't have eyes. Well, not like you have eyes. I have other things you call eyes, but I can't see shit out of them, particularly because they aren't ocular organs, but also because this angry bird I call Jake keeps crapping on them. <laughs> Speaking of shit, I was around when the bottom fell out of the steel industry, and most of the manufacturing plants squeezed out their last stoves here. And things were not looking good, so much so that we inanimate objects felt we should pitch in. And I thought we were going to push for some more wind farms, like they did in the West, but a few, namely the prison, had other thoughts. We needed something big, something flashy, something sexy, as sexy as a prison a rural road and a tree in Ohio can be. <laughs> now the prison pushed hard for films from the get-go, but I didn't want to be a stick in the mud during the brainstorming season, but I am literally a piece of wood that is inside of soil that gets muddy when you rain on it. <laughs> films like shallow money for me. They come and they go and they leave a little bit of cash with you. Sure, but at what cost? A smart worm that was writhing around my roots for a while told me that Apocalypse Now opening sequence torched acres of forests of the Philippines. Shit, if they would do that to something pretty like a tropical source, what the fuck are they going to do to a part of Ohio that's pretending to be Maine? <laughs> and the prison wasn't worried, and even did a few film gigs without us to first make us more comfortable. I mean, when he joked about how we were missing out on Sylvester Stallone's great work and Kurt Russell's magnificent hair and torso and tango and cash, other people <laughs> got excited. I didn't quite care as much, but I played along. So Shawshank Redemption came and went without too much of a vent. Morgan Freeman was a nice guy. The cinematographer was a nice guy and complimented me on about how the sun lit my branches just right. That wasn't anything I had power over, but it, I took the compliment just the same. I guess fame makes each of us a little bit vain in our own way. And the best boy grip who peed on me in between takes, not so nice. Fuck you, Keith Bunting. And for a time, things were quiet. 
We had some more visitors coming to the area, sure, but nothing crazy. There was some memorabilia, sure, but not too much. And then the steelwork lockout happened for over three years, and money got tighter and tighter for a lot of folks. And then people noticed there were more tourists interested in that damn movie. They were interested and had money in their hands, and we became their dancing monkeys that couldn't dance because we're inanimate objects. <laughs> in 2011, when I got struck by lightning the first time, I thought that would be my release. Unfortunately, it only blasted off half of my body. People commented that I was rotted from the middle. And I knew what rotted me was from all the tourists wearing the get busy living or get busy dying shirts, drinking reformatory red wine, eating slices of redemption pizza and gawking at me. It was the insufferable couple from Savannah, Georgia, who climbed onto private property so that he could propose to his wife I don't think they really paid much attention to the marriage of the Dufresne couple in that movie. <laughs> That's what rotted me. And instead of letting me decompose into a home for some nice raccoons, they ripped off that half and shoved me up against the outside wall of the prison. The irony was lost upon them. And I wish I had been one of those, <laughs> one of my brethren lit up by Coppola at that time. Gasoline would have smelled so good in the morning. And I think about the money I helped bring to town. It's nice, but it's never enough. And I think about the people who slap Shawshank references on every piece of schlock they can pump up. And maybe they'll make a rock hammer chocolate bar next. Maybe they'll make some kind of shoe polish. Maybe they'll come out with a 500-yard-long brown water slip-and-slide so every one of the folks from out of town can think they're the first one to strip shirtless and drop Christ-like onto the ground afterwards. Crucify me on me if that happens. <laughs> I guess I'm too old for that sort of nonsense anymore. I don't like it here. I'm tired of being afraid all the time. I doubt they'll kick up any fuss. Not for an old crooked tree like me. P.S. Tell the prison I'm sorry for pushing the pointy part of my trunk up against him. No hard feelings. <laughs> tree was here. Once more for Ian Randall, please. Ian, Ian was the first ever debate champion at the very first Hewer show, and uh, we, were, we were super glad to have him for his last show for Leave the Country. Ian, you thank you for here. Anyway, for our last op-ed, we have uh, one of my favorite writers. She is a staff writer for WBEZ's podcast, Pleasure Town. Uh, she is a repeat paper machete contributor, a four-time champion of Wright Club, uh, and she is performing in Lit Crawl this August 18th uh, in Andersonville. You should go, there's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, Gwyn Fulcher. There's been a lot of talk about memes today. I would double down on that shit. But in like in a weird scientific way, so don't get too excited, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna get weird. It's not that weird, promise. Alright. What we consume as children shapes us. Our likes and dislikes, our unconscious biases, our politics. We're walking collections of our cumulative experiences, but never are they endowed so deeply as when we were kids. Which is why nostalgia is such a powerful marketing tool. My four brothers' childhoods were collections of Saturday morning cartoons, Boy Scouts, G.I. Joes, WWE wrestling, Robotech, and angrily sneaking behind the garage to light shit on fire. <laughs> to this day, each of them can rattle off their favorite wrestler, battle mechas, characters from favorite cartoons that aren't on anymore, and how to covertly treat the neighbor kids second-degree burns so nobody gets caught. <laughs> and most of us have that kind of fond recall hearkening back to our childhoods. My friend Ricardo pointed out that viewing ourselves as the sum of our experiences has a name, 
It's called meme theory. It posits that what we call an individual is mostly an identity created by a lifetime of collective images, sense memories, and bits of information, all of which are called memes, a term that the internet has since taken and popularized in an alternate meaning, but it's kind of handy to think of them the same way here. We consume these memes, these bits of information, and like genes, which are passed on biologically, we pass these experiences on from one to another. Say your mom loves baseball, so she took you to games when you were little. The echoing in the stadium, the pop of the ball off the bat, the smell of spilled beer mixed with hot dogs and nachos. Whether you loved it all or decided it was a torturous glimpse into a circle of interminable hell, it all becomes part of your mimetic makeup, part of your growing identity. When we become old enough to choose what we consume, we become self-curators. And in this sense, you are what you eat. You consume art, you, your art gets better. You spend time with open-minded people, you become an empathetic person. You watch Fox News, you die alone and sad. <laughs> For the most part, it's your choice what you add to the collection that comprises you. In July, at least 12 and a half million people in the United States chose to add the new Ghostbusters movie to their collections. I was one of these people. Despite my young obsessions with Gem and the Holograms, My Little Pony, the Lady G.I. Joes, and angrily sneaking behind the garage to light shit on fire, <laughs> my childhood collection was mostly made of male-driven memes. I thought it was because I had a sister, sorry, I thought it was because I and my sister were simply outnumbered by brothers, that I'd have a different set of informational bites collected in my snowballing identity if I'd been raised with all girls and that's true, but only on a finite individual level. Because in the grand scheme of representation, I am outnumbered. In movies alone, women are underrepresented by a factor of 2.25 to 1. So, was it important to me to see a Ghostbusters movie headlined by four women? Yeah, yeah, it was. I went in feeling guilty for not finding the trailer funny, but the, original, <laughs> but the original Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 were both big parts of my childhood memes collection. So I was eager to add some lady power to that segment of my mimetic makeup. And it's not perfect. The movie isn't a masterpiece from end to end, but good god damn! I can't remember the last time I watched a movie that starred women where I smiled unconsciously for almost the entire film. I liked it. It felt really good. I came away feeling strong and powerful, feeling like I could do things without first having to ask permission or apologize for my existence. Is this how men feel? Yes. yes. <laughs> Is this how men get to feel after all those action movies that are written for them? Holy shit! Yes. No wonder! No wonder some of them feel like we're taking something away from them. I feel amazing. I am drunk! to my personal collection of memes. And I shall keep this spoiler-free for those who haven't seen it yet, but if you haven't seen it yet, let's face it, you're part of the problem. Okay, number one. <laughs> number one, Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. There is a moment in this movie where the entire theater erupted in applause for her character, and it wasn't because of a joke. That moment alone is going to be a meme in the identities of so many young women. And also, I had a raging boner for Egon growing up, so I'm gonna have a soft spot for the tech character. <laughs> Number two, the cameo train was exquisite, and I mean, <laughs> stay to the end of the fun credits for a bonus, then to the end of the credit roll for even more. Number three, the gender-swapped representation was sufficiently fun, and I'm pretty much only talking about Chris Hemsworth, who is somehow way more attractive in glasses than a knit cardigan playing a dumb blonde. Perhaps because I find him less threatening when he plays stupid? Hmm, that's how deep the patriarchy mentality reaches. All the way into my pants. <laughs> Number four, the fan service came evenly spaced, so it never felt too or overly eager to please, except the Slimer one, that was kind of dumb, but it 
his fans and did not claim to love it more. My only big complaint is that there was not enough Leslie Jones. The same mistake was made in the original with Ernie Hudson. They waited too long to introduce both characters. When one has the divine Leslie Jones on one's cast, one does not waste such brilliance by getting almost 20 minutes into the movie before introducing her character. My bonus complaint is the garbage human beings who abused Leslie Jones over Twitter. You might think I'd use my bonus complaint on the basement MRAs who claimed that an all-lady cast ruined their childhood. Usually these dudes are described as being covered in the dusting of Cheeto cheese, but I refuse to include Cheetos in the description because MRAs are disgusting and Cheetos are delicious. <laughs> but to these MRAs, I say you're all proving, all you're proving is that you have willingly halted your meme collecting and therefore opted to stop growing up as a person. Please, go discuss your ruined childhood with the young Syrian refugees or with the children sold into human trafficking in India or with the little girls and boys across the entire world who routinely get molested by family members or priests or other authority figures. Please, go tell them how four hilarious and gifted comedians ruined your perfect white male childhood. I'll wait. <laughs> But the disturbing abuse Leslie Jones suffered on social media is inexcusable and deplorable. Those experiences are now a permanent part of her mimetic identity. The abuse, regardless of how it affects her or how she responds to it, is part of her now, forever. I gladly tucked this whole movie into the Gwyn meme system, but I'm not here to make it look like this film is some grand triumph or that this was somehow a one-up to the originals already nestled so comfortably in our identities. This is not about scoring points or shoving anyone's face in anything. This was a movie starring four badass women in the style of a franchise that previously starred four badass men. This is a delightful comedy for our enjoyment, and that is what it should be. It shouldn't have to be groundbreaking. Just a fun movie that stars female actors. Let's get trans and non-binary actors in the mix too, please, because the term Ghostbusters is non-gender specific. And when we sit back with our popcorn and enjoy ourselves while consciously consuming positive memes of identities on the entire spectrum, we are choosing to make that experience part of ourselves, as part of our self-curation. And when you're adding me to you, and I'm adding you to me, so that understanding and empathy become part and parcel of our identities. There's a hell of a lot fewer reasons to sneak behind the garage and light shit on fire. Thanks. Thank you, Gwen. That was amazing. I just want to say, you said that if you haven't seen it, you're part of the problem. I just want to say that my excuse is I'm waiting for it to be at the Logan Theater because I'm poor. <laughs> I bought your ticket! <laughs> if, if that's true, then like, I'm, yes. <laughs> anyway, so um, before we move on to the debate part of the, of the show, I just want to point out, you may have or may not have seen as you're coming in a donation box. There's also one right here. Uh, this show is technically free. You, if you don't have cash or you can't afford it, that's fine. However, all of our money goes to our performers. Uh, they're making art for you. It's nice to pay them for it because that's just human decency. That's all I'm saying about that. Uh, anyway, so that's out of the way. It is time for the debate portion of our night. There's always an issue in every month that one op-ed writer cannot fully encapsulate. We need both sides of the issues, and we need the audience to decide who is correct. So let's get our debaters for this evening up to the stage. The first debater uh, is going to be someone who's making her live lit debut. She was trained with the skewer's own Eric Ruel, the aforementioned in Detroit person. <laughs> Please welcome Nora Regis. <laughs> Uh, our other debater is me! Yeah. And so you're probably thinking, who's going who's to be asking the questions? Let's get our guest moderator up to the stage, uh, Kevin Johnson. He's, he's just my friend. He didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get to the, 
the bay real quick. I just gotta catch the fucking red. It's up. Fucking did it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, he's, you better, you better not show the ladder that you bitch. Oh, you got it. There we go. is that uh, Nora and I are both going to say three minutes of opening statements. We're going to be asked questions that we have not seen before and then get three minutes of closing statements. Kevin, what are we going to be debating about? Um, as I was just playing, we're going we're gonna to debate about some Pokemon Ghosts. Um, Niantic has, uh, has been deep in our pockets, deep in our minds, and they're like, how do we make that sweet, sweet cash? Um, so they got two. They got two ideas right now in the R and D department, but they're like, we can only choose one before our servers die again. So, um, what are you two going to be arguing about? I will argue that Niantic uh, should add Pokemon medical care to their game. I'll be arguing the Pidgeys should be turned into sandwiches. <laughs> it's delicious. I I lovingly call this. Um, Poking, uh, cooking Mon Mon versus Pokemon So, and um, yeah, I guess you guys can know. Kevin, Kevin, what are we debating for? Oh, what, oh, what's yes. our prize? That, that is quite important. You're all right, Tom. You're all right, Tom. So um, you are going for, I guess, this entire show. Wait, no, wait, no. This skewer. Give it what you got. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give it. I want to say good thing fight. What is a good thing fight? Uh, Tom, you're gonna lead it off. Okay. Remember how superhero movies only got good when they got all realistic and gritty? Of course, of course you do. We all love grit. I can't enjoy a movie these days unless a dour man throws grit at me throughout. When I take bites out of a weak ass smooth sandwich, I'm like, where's the grit? Pokemon Go made bank by taking the Pokemon franchise out of the abstracted realm of video games and making it real. People are now literally traveling across the land searching far and wide. It's not a simulation anymore, it's real. And the only possible sequel that is one that doubles down on the verisimilitude and takes an unflinching look at the consequences of this violent, violent Pokemon world and acknowledges the overlooked unloved heroes who are this portable universe's only defenders of life, Pokemon Doctors. We need Pokemon Go 2 Emergency Trauma Response Edition. The Pokemon world is a world of slavery and blood sport. They want us to think it's all about fun, exploration, and sure, maybe there's some of that, but it's also a world that has been constructed wholly to enable, legitimize, fetishize, and canonize animal fights for sport. And I want to make it racial, but when Jap precocious Japanese 10 year olds do it, it's an all ages friendship adventure that everybody loves. But when Michael Vick did the exact same thing with his dogs, you put him in jail. They, they, dogs are just using bite, an actual Pokemon move that a Pokemon can learn, but somehow that's where we draw the line. I'm going to speak the real. The Pokemon universe is a hideous death cult, engineered by fire eyed maniacs. Poisoned by their lust, the animals maimed and killed. Their passion is such that their dicks felt as though they would burst they were so hard. <laughs> Cities in Pokemon exist solely to prop up their signature Pokemon murder pit, euphemistically called gyms, to hide the brutality behind the mask of lighthearted sports, where shops and department stores sell exclusively Pokemon-related supplies, where the environment between cities is meticulously preserved to ensure lavish breeding grounds that produce ever more Pokemon to be ripped from their families, enslaved, forced to kill, fight, die, more doomed grist for this horrible mill. This putrescent meat machine of voyeuristic bloodlust, world visiting goddamn Pokemon industrial complex that exists solely to manufacture this world's only export dead and dying Pokemon. <laughs> doctors. Oh, I didn't mean to. You can keep clapping. <laughs> doctors are the only thing keeping this world from being the orgiastic death dance of a pagan blood cult masquerading as civilization. They are the only people in this horrible world for whom a success is for no Pokemon to be hurt. And there's the highest stakes job in this stupid world. If you're a Pokemon trainer, what's the worst that can happen? Your team of Pokemon loses a fight. Oh well, better luck next time. Try again. 
If you're a doctor, you've got infinite ways of mangled Pokemon, wheezing, crippled masses of mangled, burned flesh, and you have to save them all. We're not going to abstract Pokemon medical science into goddamn potions you can make them drink and zoop them back to health. Nah. Nah. We're talking about having triage four Pokemon coming in with lacerated spines, torn jugulars, like vine strangulation, maybe some kind of dragon burns, uh, whatever bug type does. And for every minute you waste wondering what blood types are going to match this Pikachu bleeding out on your table, three more Pokemon come in, hoarsely croaking out their death rattles at their prepubescent slave master, demand them back at full health immediately so that they can yet again break them on the rocks of this horrible culture. You have to be efficient, strategic, smart. You're the only person to treat these Pokemon living things with respect and care to want what's best for them instead of what's lurid fun for you. <laughs> and it doesn't stop there. Oh, these Pokemon definitely have some major PTSD. Just think about it. Imagine you're like a fire type Pokemon, yeah? Yeah, you're a cool fire boy. You got some kind of hair that looks like fire. Your sweet round pummy's got a picture of fire drawn on it. You're all about that fire. Fire's your life. Then your goddamn slave master forces you to fight to the death, and as you're thrust out of your Pokeball prison, your eyes still adjusting to the light, what do you see before you? But a water-type Pokemon. We've got a big fucking turtle with guns for shoulders. <laughs> Who's just gonna obliterate your shit with some fire hose-ass water streams? Water, the one thing you hate and fear the most. That horror is not going to go away. It's going to haunt that Pokemon forever, especially considering that his cruel master is going to let it happen again and again and again because he's a goddamn eight-year-old that doesn't understand type differences yet. There's a lot of material for this game to work with, is what I'm saying. No. The true joy of Pokemon comes from America's true passion, consuming. Consuming <laughs> sweet, mindless distractions is what America is all about. And the new quest to catch them all is as all-American as our original distractions, apple pie and baseball. But one thing is keeping us from catching them all. One thing is keeping us from sweet, blissful ignorance of the horrors of 2016. Pidgeys. <laughs> Paraphrase Jonathan Swift. It is a melancholy object to those who walk through this great town or travel in the country when they see the streets, the roads, and the cabin doors crowded with pigeons. <laughs> who among us hasn't felt the thrill of their phone vibrate only to see these stupid pigeons with their stupid beaks pointing up at you? When you first start playing, you grab them all up. Oh, okay, another one, these guys, great. But soon you realize what Pidgeys truly are, a scourge. You only have 250 slots to hold all the Pokemon, and with one afternoon, half of those slots are filled with Pidgeys. So give them to Professor Willow and have him turn them into candy, I hear you say. And then I hear others of you say, who the hell is Professor Willow? Which is a fair question, because we only see glimpses of him. But anyway, if you give him a Pokemon, he turns them into candy, and then he can power up or evolve your other Pokemon. But that doesn't solve our problem of the Pidgeys. Professor Willow gives you one candy for each Pidgey, but it's a Pidgey-specific candy, and you can only use this to evolve the Cursed Bloodline into Pidgeottos and Pidgeots. And soon you have too many of them too. It's not a good plan. So if you would be so kind to entertain me, here's my modest proposal. Pidgey sandwiches. You transfer the baneful birds to Professor Willow, same as always, only instead of turning them into candy, they get cooked and made into sandwiches. These sandwiches can power up all of your Pokemon. Not just those in the Pidgey family. 
So now you're going to follow that one jigglypuff that you caught a while back that you haven't been able to improve because you don't have enough jigglypuff candy. We've all been waiting for franchises to get in on the Pokemon Go action, and Pidgey sandwiches provide a great way for them to catch it. If you get, I don't know, like 50 Pidgey sandwiches and you don't use them to evolve your Pokemon, you can get like free fries or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'll let the market research team work out the details. The fast food places will put out lures so there are more Pokemon in the restaurants. You get free food and then probably order more because you're already there and an American. And while you're stuffing your face with fast food, you can catch even more Pidgeys and turn them into sandwiches. It's a win-win. Medical care will do nothing to deal with our plight of the Pidgeys, but Pidgey sandwiches will feed not only all of your Pokemon, but you too. <laughs> Right now, I'm going to offer you both a chance uh, for a rebuttal. I'm going to go ahead and take that chance. Ooh. I just want to say that Pidgey sandwiches, it sounds reasonable. <laughs> I had a feeling that she'd go with, with the Pokemon that look like the animals that we eat already. I just want to point out that there are also Pokemon that are just nearly identical to human beings. Bipedal, faces, hands and legs. They are as much animals in this world as Pidgeys, and you know that these demented maniacs are paying that primo shit for like a jink steak with the face still attached. Weird, right? Don't do it. The gym's not fun. You can go and play Pokemon Go for hours and hours and not do a single gym battle. It's not the point of the game. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so 
I have another question for you. Um, if you were given the chance to make a candy out of another human, <laughs> who would it be, and what power would you hope to gain?
Being a doctor is the only noble calling in this Pokemon world where life is a cheap commodity. It is the only way to opt out of this weird world of privilege and mania where the only justice is a cruel blood sport that Nintendo has never even attempted to justify. The only thing that they've ever said is, oh, it's okay. The Pokemon don't mind. They don't object. Rhetoric you may recognize from every abusive boyfriend. <laughs> A Pokemon Go game about medical care would not only be a fast-paced game of skill, but the only way to see past the candy-colored mask of this that this horrible world wears and gain the precious emotional maturity to reject the visceral appeal of ritualized violence. No longer will the Pokemon game be about achieving personal omnipotence by physically dominating all your opponents, but be about empathy, care, hope. We'll see the horrors that we wreak every time we send our Pokemon into battle and learn that their lives are worth more than fuel for our amusement. Video games play at being art, but they often ask so little of us. Pokemon Go 2 Emergency Trauma Response Edition would force us to look at who we are and what we do when we make these amazing, beautiful creatures fight each other. And I tell you, after stitching up that much Pokemon gore, after seeing the despair in their eyes as they teeter on the edge of mortality, I guarantee you, you'll go Pokemon vegan. <laughs> The benefits of Pidgey sandwiches and the inevitable partnership with various fast food chains is manifold. The other species will get to benefit from the high rate of Pidgeys spawning across American cities and evolve and power up. Creating sandwiches frees up Pokemon slots so you have room to catch rarer ones, and with more free space, Americans can more fully enjoy the true purpose of this game, a sweet, pure opiate of the masses, keeping us distracted from the many horrors of this summer, such as endless gun violence, rampant bigotry, and our nation's actual opiate problem. <laughs> While battling at the gym is a nice feature, it's not the game, especially for a casual player or beginner. Hell, you can't even play at a gym if you haven't made level five yet. And once you finally make it, you go to a gym only to find it guarded by these strong, high-level monsters you know will take forever to be equal to in might. There's no point in improving upon a gym feature with medical care because you can enjoy Pokemon Go without even playing in a gym battle. I just want to walk around my neighborhood and not think about whatever horrible thing Donald Trump said that day while trying to catch a new pocket monster. I have and will gladly walk straight into traffic for even just the smallest moment of relief from knowing that there's a decent chance that a misogynistic, anti-Semitic, white supremacist with a very fragile ego, is so close to being given the nuclear codes. <laughs> and medical care, <laughs> medical care will preserve monsters that you already have, which is as needless as Scott Baio at the RNC. <laughs> you already can revive and heal Pokemon from gym battles with stuff you get at Pokestops. I don't need to maintain the dozens of infuriating Pidgeys I already have. I need to catch the cool, rare monsters to ignore my wife. And the only way to do that is through Pidgey Sandwiches. Pidgey, Pidgey Sandwiches are the best addition to Pokemon Go because it improves upon what already works in the game and makes it even better. It will take the scourge of Pidgeys and make them into the riches of a nation. Why just catch them all when you can now cook them all? Thank you, Andrew. Um, all right, so at this portion, I'm going to need, like, uh, a, someone that's neutral, a neutral party. Are you neutral? Do you want to help me real quick? I wasn't listening. That's good. That's <laughs> good. vote for the person who made a better argument or who was funnier? Um, <laughs> see, I knew you guys are just going to be biased as fuck anyway, so the one that was funnier is the better argument. And that's great. The, the actual answer that I've said before, and you should know because it shows, uh -huh. is that it doesn't matter. 
Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, um, you can come to a live show the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago at 8 p.m. Um, you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash theskewerchicago. Uh, you can also email us, skewerchicago at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, you can you know subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere a podcast would be. Just Google the Skewer Podcast, honestly. You know, maybe leave us a review. I don't know. We, we, we wouldn't say no to it. So, until next time, see you later.